In association with nzhikes.co.nz, welcome to Bushwhacked, not the wrestlers, light-hearted tales of adventure from the wilds of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Welcome back to Bushwhackers, the wrestlers. I'm one host, Cam Clark. Joining me as always, Mark Wilson. Mark, how are you today? Kia ora, namaste, morena, ladies and gentlemen from a very chilly Christchurch. As I look out the window at the hills, which are now becoming a lovely white, as it looks like here today, Cam, instead of the rain, like we had a couple of weeks ago, we're going to have the first snowfall in October in Christchurch City since when? When do you think, Cam? October? Holy crap. Um, yeah. I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say that Christchurch has never had snow in the October. They have. They have. The last time they had it, though, folks, was a hilarious date to uh, the very immature, probably the most hilarious year you can get out of the 99 in a century so what do you think that is cam (laughs) a hilarious number please 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 tell us what the funny number is so 1969 was the last time that there was snow in october in christchurch and this morning we've got round one which has painted the hills a little bit white and it looks like this afternoon the snow level will lower to sea level which is a rarity in the middle of winter let alone as we are into spring so um a real lamb killer as they'd say if you worked up on a farm yeah that's crazy you guys are going into uh summer down here we're, we're kind of dating the, uh, the the date of the recording of the podcast our uh, I'm, I'm sure our avid listeners will realize that the date of our recording is not the date that these will be released but um, yeah, you're supposed to be like, it's getting colder where I am in the Northern Hemisphere. Like, I can't believe you've got snow going on over there. Yeah, and neither can we really. Um, we had 20 plus yesterday afternoon, which was the hot air being pushed uh, in front of the cold front. So it's really strange to go from that to what they think will be sort of minus one, minus two degrees Celsius tonight. Um, now, I've got some old old business, old business, right. uh, as always. <clears throat> now, listeners, if you're still with us, I just want to thank you. Now, uh, you may have noticed in episode three, there were some sound feedback issues last episode. Um, I, I tried my best to edit them out, and uh, hopefully it, it won't, won't happen again. So if you if you are still listening after episode three, you... you, you well done. You, well Congratulations. Done. Congratulations. <laughs> They're only going to get better. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, let, let us, let us know how you thought about episode three. Absolutely. Now, Mark, can we please have a Mark injury update? (laughs) Oh, well, um, I mean, of course we're not slack or anything, so we're doing weekly podcasts, aren't we? (laughs) So of course it was only a week ago that we last talked about, Oh, what a week it's been. Um, we're, so, we're saying fortnightly podcasts. I, yeah, we'll go. With, yeah, something like that. Yeah, we're, we're whatever trying, it is. We're trying to hold ourselves to two weeks. Um, mm. Now, now the peak behind the curtain is it has been a little bit longer than two weeks since the last time we recorded. But dear listeners, mm. you won't you won't know that because we're going to try and release these once every two weeks. Now, the last yeah, we time were, yeah. you were confirmed to be on a waiting list for a yes. CT scan in yes. regards to your hernias. Yes. Now, yes, so it is. It is quite far back. Okay, so no, we'd, I'd had the CT scan. No, I'd had the CT scan. Okay, you'd had so, the CT yep. scan. Yep, awaiting okay. results. Awaiting and results. The results. Okay. The results were no hernia. So I guess that's a hooray, in um, a way. Okay. Hooray. Yep. Uh, but then also they noticed that the back was looking a real mess. So the next stage is to go for the MRI scan. Um, and so I had that lined up. And as we know, it's been around three and a half months to get one thing sorted out. Um, so 
what made things even more interesting, straight back into that word, yeah. uh, was the fact that I had a scan lined up, and then I got this thing known as COVID. Oh, no. So I had a scan lined up, and I had to postpone it. Luckily, it wasn't a huge ordeal to get another one. I was thinking I might have to lose a month, but um, it was only just over a week that I could go and get the next scan, um, the MRI. So I uh, went in and got the MRI, which was a bit of a mission around Christchurch Hospital. Um, and then went back and actually got aligned with a specialist. So being out of the public system now, I'm into the private system. And it's amazing how quickly things happen. So went and saw the specialist. And the specialist looked at my back and said, it's not looking too good. And you know, would you consider getting a steroid injection into... Uh, your discs between your vertebrae okay. and so as we know we're now at two and a half years since I originally hurt my hip and his theory in uh, getting the discs um, hit with some steroids is maybe there might be some trapped nerves that are causing a pain in a different place which is something that happens oh Jesus so uh, get lined up for the steroid injection into the disc in my spine because the disc it has bulges in it so he believes that steroid injection will take the bulges out and that potentially will take away some of the pain in my hip so um so you know you not a exciting thing to hear but also it's progress so you've got to be confident about that um but then you read what's going to happen and you know when you have a sensation of pain maybe felt there's probably going to be a lot of sensation of pain, so mm -hmm. I wasn't exactly looking forward to it. Um, but I got myself ready and then went in, and I had to get Ma to take me in because you're not too good afterwards. Yeah. So yet another thing to look forward to. And so I go in, I get the um the the robe on, um, and then wait for the doctor. And the doctor comes waltzing out, and he's wearing. And I kid you not, it is camouflage as well. What looks like a flak jacket or like a bomb disposal person's uh, like jacket thing that they wear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the radiation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So reason he's got this on is because he's going to do an x-ray <clears throat> with himself. So yeah, he's got to avoid the radiation with this lead suit. So we go into this room. And I lie on my stomach, face down. And then <coughs> he wipes my back with like a antiseptic cream, which is super cold. And then you just feel his hands, like him with the nurse there, bomb flax suit thing. And and like I know eventually I'm going to have a guide needle, which finds where the main needle needs to go in. And then once that's in, then they put the main needle in. And most people will get one. And that's it, they're done. But I needed it twice in two different discs. And my vertebrae are what's known as codfish vertebrae. So this here is a completely, totally separate thing from my whole hip injury, which just happens to be coincidental with all these injuries that I've had. So I've got these very small gaps between my vertebrae and my disc. And so... For the doctor, it's quite hard for him to not mash into the bone on my vertebrae while he's trying to get this needle in. Jesus. So he's he's forcing this thing in, and then eventually he gets it where it is. And so I'm lying face down, and there's something in my spine, like it's it's not you know it's not in your skin, it's right in your spine, and you're like, oh, I, I you don't want to move or anything because. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like there's this thing inside you and um, and he gets the first one in, pulls it out and then he's like, you're all right. You know, do you, do you want to carry on with the next one? And I'm like, yeah, I want to get it done, like get it done now. I wouldn't want to do this, come back again and do it again. Um, I didn't say that to him, obviously, but I was like, get, just lay her in, doc. And the <laughs> next one, he had even more trouble. And 
at one stage he raked the main nerve on my spinal cord like the main oh. and so and my leg feel? my left so my left leg just off it went on a journey just this massive kick and I've got this thing in my spine. The last thing I want to do is move at all. And I've all of a sudden just done this massive kick. Now the nurse had a few things that, like, she got knocked out of her hand. And, and he's just like, oh, 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 just calm down. And, like, sort of laughing about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are you? And, like, that was the strangest, like, weirdest electric shock sensation I've ever had, really. Um, That's crazy. And so then he... He puts in the injection, and he finds the, the right spot, puts it into the second one, pulls it out, then he wipes the area down, and then he sort of lets me sit up, and he's like, all right, you okay? Yeah, all right, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, and then we start talking about, because he, he knows that I'm oh, a guide, and like I like hiking and everything, and then there's a little trolley that helps me get down off the table, and like I'm like, I'm like sweet, yep, and the nurse and him are both a little bit apprehensive at this stage, and then they bring it over, and I stand up. And as soon as I stand up, oh, everything goes to my head. Oh, dear. And I felt real sort of hot but cold at the same time. And he had to lie me back down again because I just had a rather major procedure. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I had to lie there for about tense, and he had, like, damp cloths. And, and then eventually I got wheelchaired into this other room where I could sort of recover for a while. Um, and then got wheeled out to the car where my mum was and she took me home and then that like even that drive home any little bump in the road it felt like like driving up the side of Mount Everest and then going off a cliff it was just oh. horrible bouncing pain and then that night just could not find a nice position to lie and here we are now this is five days after it happened yeah um Still real tender, but slowly coming right. And um, the next stage is to go back to the specialist now and just sort of see where we go from here. But at least with the specialist, if something needs to be, well, there probably will be more need to be done, then he can just straight away, boom, right, let's go do it right now, the next week or something like that. So Jeez. positives with a uh, really rough ride in the middle there. Yeah, that's brutal. So are you still in, on the waiting list for the MRI? No, so I've had, I got all that, mm -hmm. and that just by coincidence went into a space where I could see the specialists, because all the specialists are just completely booked out. And I saw a thing on the news last night, we're about sort of 1,300 doctors short here in New Zealand. And I could be even underestimating that number. So... I'm so happy to get in with a specialist because there's just people left, right and centre who need help, but there's just no one here because all the doctors from other countries, when COVID happened, they went home. Oh, yeah. So, so we're still recovering from that and still slowly picking up the pieces um, with the whole medical system. So, Okay, so you don't have hernias. The specialist thinks that what's causing your pain is like almost like phantom pain because your hip and your back is so screwed up it's affecting nerves elsewhere yeah and the big gulp <laughs> which i had a while back is the the tissue damage where the fridge door hit me let's remember folks a chiller unit door <laughs> did the, the main damage um like that's always going to be pretty ruined so there will always be a little bit of discomfort there but now what he's thinking and what probably makes a lot of sense is the back is the main part of the issue let's focus on that first mm. and then we'll go from there and so you also have a weird spinal column that's not related to any of this this codfish, codfish yeah codfish vertebrae. vertebrae so have a look at that folks that's a weird one for you um and so i've had blood tests as well because there's whole lot of other things going on so that you know for the next catch-up meeting um, there'll be all sorts of other things to say because finally things are starting to happen it's not you need a scan three months later scan has been done <laughs> so you're actually getting yeah, treated now yes, yes so what's so what's the next step 
So I'll go back. So the doctor um, performs the crippling bloody procedure that he did. And then two weeks later, I go back. So that's in about a week and a bit now. Okay. And he sort of plot out the next step. Because um, the next step might be operations to do with the codfish vertebrae or who knows. Oh, God. Who knows? But so um, it's that's better. A, that's its it, own separate problem that they've just discovered. Yeah, well, it's kind of been there, but never like been considered an issue, I guess, at right. this stage. So. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Just to yeah. keep things interesting, I suppose. Oh, well, okay. Well, good luck. Godspeed. And um, I hope the next time you get a giant metal pole rammed into your spine that it goes a little bit more smoothly. Well, I'm going out with uh, my cousin over the weekend on a much-needed mish because I haven't been able to go out. I've barely been able to walk around for the last couple of days, sort of shuffling around like um, Hunchback in Notre Dame and looking forward to just escaping. Nice. And there might be a bit of snow around <laughs> by the sounds of it. <laughs> you have a good track record with snow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Man, I'm going to have to edit so many sad trombones into this, uh, into this episode. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> All yes. right. Um, so, what do you got for us uh, this week, Mark? Give us a little background. Oh well, well, this week it's actually something that you won't find on the website, um, and it's something that's going to be a, a podcast exclusive um, and it is a it's a bit of a world record lots of people know about this but um i won't tell you any more we'll uh, we'll let the story tell you what's going on all right wonderful well without further ado mark take us on a mesh all right folks so some of you may be aware that in the deep dark corners of Fjordland National Park, a place that we've heard a little bit about so far and we'll hear a lot more about, there's a walk which is known as the finest walk in the world. And that, of course, is the Milford Track. Uh, now, the Milford Track is 54 kilometers of trekking, depending on your fitness level. Uh, but the track itself is immaculate considering the location and uh, the weather that the area sees. And to keep things relevant, um, there was a storm that hit Florida, and that storm did a whole lot of damage. Uh, but that storm there produced a rainfall which would be considered a severe rainfall in Fiordland. And that's a normal, at least once a month rainfall. So it shows that this place is uh, not really made for humans to be in for very long and the Milford track is possibly the way you'll see it by your own two feet because you can also go by helicopter or plane but if you want to walk it and get the real deal then the finest walk in the world the Milford track um, well it speaks for itself and the fact that it sells out within about 15 minutes every year so they put the uh, the numbers up, and within 15 minutes or so, it's completely booked out. And even over the COVID period, with our borders closed, the Milford track, for the majority of the season, was still booked out, which is just unbelievable. Uh, now, there's a lot of diehard, old-school trampers, your classic Kiwi tramper, who, much like me for a long time, looked at the Milford as being something that tourists do therefore why would you do something that tourists do we've got all these other walks in our backyard why don't we do them and leave that to the tourists so the first time i walked the track i actually got paid to do it so the uh, company that do the guided walk which is ultimate hikes they do the route burn track and that's where i started my guiding career back in 2008 makes me feel so old uh, but back then, um, I hadn't walked the Milford, and I hadn't walked the Rootburn. First time I walked the Rootburn with Ultimate Hikes, and I find out that they have the Milford track also. So I don't go and walk it as a customer. I wait until I get the opportunity to walk it as a guide. 
so therefore get paid to do it for the first time which is fairly rare but man it is awesome the milford track hopefully one day you can do it cam um but it's uh booked out so quickly so um yeah so 15 15 minutes because they can only have a certain amount of customers on it at any time to protect it or whatever right and so when they release the upcoming dates for the entire year so whenever anyone can go on this track it sells out boom and just you like just, that. it's just it's so busy you cannot just rock up and decide you want to walk this track you must have a booking and if you haven't booked in that first 15 minutes when they open it up you got to wait another year before you get a chance to book correct yeah wow. and there's so there's there's two ways to walk it so originally when it was discovered by two just solid hard bastards back in the day who knew that the um the the draw of milford sound peel peel tahi was so great that they were willing to risk their lives to just find a way through the mountains to get there because of course we're talking back in the 1880s when there's no planes or anything so to get to milford was a mission but it was considered you know one of the wonders of the world and so this this route needed to be found and it would become the Milford track. Um, so it started off as a guided walk and through a lot of pressure, it became a guided walk and a independent walk. And so you've got two options. And even though there's two options, 40 people with the uh, independent non-guided walk and 50 people with the guided walk still sells out in 15 minutes Mm. which is unbelievable now um um, what's what's so amazing um in general about the uh the the milford track just to give our uh our listeners at home some idea or will this or will this come out in your story well the the biggest the biggest selling point with the milford track for me is the fact that it's a overall journey so you're not just going to the start of a track walking and then finishing and that's it you've got to go on this journey from the metropolis of queenstown and to a lot of people who have been to sort of ski towns and whatnot queenstown is much like a lot of those ski towns around the world so a real sort of international flavor still a lot of hustle and bustle cars and whatnot and you take this big two-hour drive to get to tiano my hometown and all of a sudden it's peaceful it's quiet and you get to this giant lake and you've got to go across the lake just to start the walk. Now, once you've finished the walk, you get to a point where you're just at the end of a river and you still need a boat to get into Pio Pio Tahi Milford Sound. So you've got not only the walk, but these journeys to get to certain points. So once you get to Milford, the very end of the trek, you've, you've gone through so much. And even as a guide, the first time I finished it was a real like, whoa, you know, it, it, there was background music playing in my head and it was epic. You've really got so, to want to get there. It's such an effort to get there. Like, yeah. It's, it's, and I mean, yeah. people used to, they took months to get here on a boat to then take weeks to get to just Tiano. And for us, you can be in Sydney and within five hours, you've flown from Sydney to Queenstown You've driven from Queenstown to Tiano, and you're now on the boat going off to the start of the trip. Yeah, yeah. It reminds so, me, I, uh, I once saw uh, I saw Bruce Springsteen uh, in the Isle of Wight when I was living in England. And he comes out, and he's like, uh, hello, Isle of Wight. Well, this morning I got up, got on a plane, and then I got on a train, and then I got on another train, and then I got on a boat, and then I got on a bus. Now I'm here. <laughs> and then he and then he started his show because <laughs> that's like a lot of people around the world have what i wish we did have but it makes things interesting now i guess a rail network and with a rail network you get on on the train and on your phone yeah, and so the, the europe's, journey europe's really good at trains everywhere else is mm. not good at trains europe, europe and asia japan yeah, japan, japan sorry japan, yeah, japan is amazing yeah. yeah europe europe and japan and i'm hearing i hear a lot about china is up and coming as well they're really yep. good at yep. trains north america is not good at trains new zealand not that good but at with trains. 
with the trains though like you switch off whereas this you have to be part of the journey because you're you're transferring from one vehicle to another vehicle to another vehicle (laughs) and then eventually you get there and once you're there another awesome part that i found as a guide is you are a walker on the milford track doesn't matter what you are back in real life you are just another walker on the milford track and that's almost a segue where we go into this part of the story the main body the guts of the story if you will wonderful um and what we're going to do today cameron is we're actually going to alter some of the names because there are real people involved in this story and i don't want to bring anybody in to um to this as you'll find out might be a little bit embarrassing for them so today cameron we're going to be dealing with marquetta and cambellina okay so marquetta and cambellina okay uh, two people that came to walk the Milford Track guided from Australia. Now, both of them worked in the university in Sydney, and that's about as much as I'll say about their background, but one of them in particular didn't put a lot of thought into really getting themselves ready for a 54-kilometre journey. So everyone loads up in the bus in Queenstown. We do the normal chat through what's going on and then we make that journey that we've talked about from Queenstown to Tiano and from Tiano across the lake to the start of the track and the first part of the track Cam I think you could even walk it's not even one mile shouldn't have too much trouble that is the first part of the Milford track so once you get there you put your bag down in either your shared accommodation or your en-suited room, and then you go for a little walk, and we call it a nature walk as guides, but really what's going on is you're assessing the walkers that you have that have come from far and wide. Now, um, back in the day, the people who came to walk the Milford Track were fairly hardy souls just to get to the start of the track, let alone walk it, whereas these days, with all the ease of modern technology sometimes we get people starting the track that are not exactly experienced if you know what i mean so um the milford track has been put up there with places like Times square the eiffel tower um, maybe going and seeing buckingham palace Uh, but what a lot of people forget is the fact that there's still fjordland and big distances to walk so we're here with uh, Marquetta and Cambellina, and uh, Marquetta is uh, quite fit, quite able, whereas Cambellina less able. So on this 40-minute walk, which we do, which is just a nice easy walk, up to have a look at a creek and a little view of Lake Tiano before you go back and have a lovely meal and then get to know the group, um, there was a few stumbles, a few trips on this, but nothing to be too worried about at this stage. Everything's okay. But uh, that night when myself and the other guides had dinner, just sort of just had a yarn about it. Just keep your eyes on that Cambellina. <laughs> just got to make sure that she gets through to the next lodge. So the next day um, is the walk from Glade House, the first lodge you stay in, to Pompolona Lodge. And that's about 16 kilometres or so, and not much of a climb, but you're still climbing around 400 metres. So there's a little bit of elevation to get, uh, and most of it's near the end of the day. Um, Now, for this day, um, I was in a position where I would come in with the back people. So the people at the back of the group, whenever they got to the lodge, I'd be with them, and then that means everyone's got there. And it was a long day. (laughs) <laughs> to say the least. Now, it's only a slight climb at the end of the day, and when we got to the lodge, Pompolona Lodge, um, the rest of the group were already having their dinner, and I told the guys, uh, sorry, I told uh, Cambellina and Marquetta to go and make themselves at home, find their room, the lodge staff showed them their room, um, get yourselves, you know, showered, and we'll get you some food, and then we have a little presentation, a little briefing on the next day, and the next day is going up 
and over McKinnon Pass, which is the big alpine pass on the trip, which is not to be taken lightly. Um, for the alpine zone in Fiordland, is a rather rugged place uh, on the best of days. So um, as these guys are having dinner, um, Marquetta comes up to me and goes, all right, let's have a talk about tomorrow. And I'm like, well, you've got to go and watch watch the briefing, and then we can have a chat afterwards. And they go and watch the briefing, and then straight away, Marquetta comes up to me and is dead confident they can make it, no worries whatsoever. Um, leave it to me. I'll make sure that Campbellina can get up and over the pass. So okay. my job the next day, so now what we're going to do is we go from Pompelona up and over McKinnon Pass, which is a 700-metre climb and then a 900-metre descent over just under 14 kilometres. Now, I could be wrong there with the distances. I haven't guided that track for a long time, so quote me if I'm wrong, uh, wonderful listeners. Uh, but off we go. Now, I stay behind and I help with a few chores before I leave the lodge last. And off I go. And it doesn't take me long before I run into our two. <laughs> and they're slowly making their way along. They're not doing too bad because they left super early. And I'm thinking maybe there's a chance. So we get them up to the pass. And there's a cutoff time for the pass where if anyone gets there and they're past this point, they either have to turn around and go back or on the odd occasion we'd get a helicopter because it's just going to take too long. If it's taking you this long to get to here, then you you can't carry on because we'll be going into the night for you to get to the, the next lodge down to Quinton. So yeah, it's not safe. The, they, they actually made it on time. So everything was looking good and at this stage i looked at another guide this lovely girl constance and said you know you're now the back guide you're going to be walking with them like i did the day before um good luck buddy <laughs> like, and off i went now from the pass to the lodge it took me just under 50 minutes okay all right so keep that in your head just under 50 minutes and the cutoff time is about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And we got up onto the pass at about 1.30. And things were looking okay. Maybe a late finish, but we're, we're okay. Now, as, so a, I go, as a professional, if it's going to take you 50 minutes, let's be generous and say that a normal person should take two hours. Two hours, three, if you're taking your time. And you should, because you're going to take in the views and everything. I am... Okay. Running, but I call it controlled falling. So I have my walking poles and I'm just letting gravity take me down. Okay. And after guiding for so long, it's fun to do. Every now and then you scuff your knees because you fall over. But yeah, it's like a controlled falling and less than an hour to just scamper down. And I get okay. down to the lodge. I go into the lodge, say hello to everyone, do a quick check on how our people at the back are going. Then I have a shower and get myself ready for the evening meal, okay? Now, we didn't think that Cambellina and Marquetta would get to the meal, but when I heard their update and their progress, I knew that I was going to have to get myself ready after dessert to go back up the hill to meet them. So <laughs> we have dessert, and then I go and I get all my gear ready. Now, it's starting to rain at this point, and multiple times these guys have been told, like, you, you, if you're going to turn around, you have to turn around now because we can't get a helicopter to where you are now and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what I tell Wait, the fact Constance, that you're even talking about a helicopter just, like, in a non-medical way. Like, I know, I know. The, the fact that you're so casually, like, no, we'll have to get the helicopter. Like, there's nothing wrong with this person. Like... Mm -hmm. they're, they're just mm -hmm. slow yep. yep okay all right now the, the the big issue as well is that marketa was making all the decisions for cambellina as well which is such a bad way to be and poor old cambellina just wouldn't stand up for themselves and that's you know this this lady dragged her friend into the situation 
but just didn't seem to have any remorse about it. And so what I, I said to Constance is, um, like, we've got to split them up. So, like, send her on, and what I'll do is get someone to meet her, and I'll continue and catch up with you. Um, so she sent Marquetta on, because she was a real big problem. Um, and I saw her, and she, uh, the look she gave me, she's like, she's, she's not going to make it. She's not, and, like, I could have, I was holding back going, I told you this would happen because <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Like I had this big talk with them the day before, but I just said, you know, we've got a steak for you ready cooked down at the lodge. There's someone coming up to meet you. We'll get you dry and we'll take care of your friend. And then off she went. And I just continued on the Milford track in reverse, going past all of these uh, landmarks that you remember and you see as you're going into the lodge. And I'm just getting further and further away from the lodge thinking where where are they like what is going on here and eventually i see through the now fading light the um the faint head torch sight and i know right there they are and me being me i still had to crack a joke <laughs> which is quite rough because poor constance had been through quite a bit at this stage so I love that what I told her is for the, the guide Constance and not for Cambellina. <laughs> and of course, for our, our wonderful client who was just shuffling at this stage, <laughs> shuffling. But I told Constance that there had been a dispute between two guides at the, um, the lodge behind us, and I was going back to sort it out. <laughs> um, and the look she gave me of like, but, but you're supposed to be here to help me. And now you're leaving. But yeah, and then I then I cracked up and I told her that I was there. But my job, like I could tell with this with this girl that she had put all her effort into making sure Cambellina was okay. And so she hadn't taken care of herself at all, which, you know, I say with utmost respect because she, she just looked cold and tired. And so, you know, I just slowly handed her lollies and food and stuff and just let her still just be the only person dealing with Cambellina because they had formed this friendship now um, but time just kept going on and now it's pitch black now it's 10 p.m. and now it's raining and we are in the forest slowly making our way down and there was one point where she started to fall over quite a bit so I decided I'll go in front and her hands can be on my shoulders and I'll put my pack on my front because I only had a small pack and so then we keep slowly, slowly going down. A few tricky sections would help her down. And then at one stage, she fell over, fell into a pile of moss, beautiful, spongy moss. And I just watched her close her eyes. <laughs> and that is where the end of Two Good Cops happened. So that's when Constance became the good cop and I was the bad cop. I had no choice. And so I was like, right, this isn't happening. And I went, right, Cambellina, on the count of three, you're going to stand up. One, two, three. And then I put all my effort in, pulled her up, and then I went, right, you've got to move your left foot. You have to move your left foot. Once that got going, right, your right foot, let's go, we've got this going. And I just had to do it over and over again. And then we get to within about 500 metres of the lodge, and there's this bridge. And so I call up the lodge. And I say, we've got a very tired lady here who wants a hot chocolate. Can we please have one waiting for her? Cam, by the time we got to the entrance, it was cold. <laughs> oh, Cambellina. Right. Oh, no. So this is where we go back to my time from the pass down to the lodge. Okay, so now we've, we've established 50 minutes for Mark. Yep. Two, three so, hours. For, for a regular tourist. So, Cambellina, it took 11 hours. Oh. And the entire day was 19 hours and 50 minutes to go what takes most people six, maybe seven hours. Wow. Cambellina shouldn't have been on that track. So, we get her in... And her friend's asleep. Her friend wasn't even there to oh. 
Like, <laughs> so Mark Etta, Mark Etta, not even there, having a good old sleep. Um, but basically, the general manager, the boss, was like, like, you can't walk the next day. You're a, a danger to the rest of the people. Um, but <laughs> her friend... to yourself and others. <laughs> her friend did not want to get on the chopper with her. Her friend was quite happy on. And so for the rest of the day, Mark Etta kept talking to me and Constance about, oh, so what was it like when Cambellina was... And I'm like, this is your friend. Like, you nearly you nearly murdered your friend in a beautiful place. <laughs> so, I think yeah. that's I think that's one we could, we could put on a T-shirt. Murder oh, your friend in a beautiful place. <laughs> and that, as time goes on, and these, these walks become... And it is absolute luxury. I mean, the food is incredible, and you can be in an en-suited room, just in the like the middle of this place where, like I said at the start, you get these hurricane force storms, and you're there. You're just chilling, having your three course meal, and a lot of people look at that part and forget the 54 kilometres of track, and the big climb. So the record from that ordeal is still that 11 hours plus from the top of the pass down to Quinton Lodge. So in the entire time that the track's been around, apparently that's the longest it's ever taken. And that is a record Quite that enough. stands to this day. To this day. And it, it can't be broken. If it's broken, there's been such a communication breakdown before it's happened. Because a big issue we had with that day was it just seemed like everything was going okay. We didn't realize somebody could walk that slowly. <laughs> Like I, I it, didn't realize people could walk this slowly. <laughs> but like it's yeah, I mean, I guess a sense of achievement. So. Yeah. So what what happened yeah. to her? Did she just like that? That's it. So she just from where we we got her to, it's a fairly straightforward helicopter flight, and so she was waiting at the lodge. The next day but for me and Constance so we're getting in and now it's past 2 a.m. and our alarms are set for 5 30 the next morning because we've got to walk another 48 people or 49 count, counting Marketha <laughs> um, and yeah so we've, we still have to do the rest of the trip so we were like zombies that day it was a bit of a mish um, but yeah what a what an ordeal and a good outcome is what we're happy with. Yeah, it could that's have gone awesome. a lot worse. Yeah, like so, like the only way that anyone could could take longer is if they legitimately get injured, and then that doesn't count. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like there was never stopping, but there was a couple of times where, and like it, it's it it really makes me take my hat off to like ambulance workers and stuff like that when people give you this look of like I don't want to be here anymore like yeah take me away from this situation and you can't yeah like you've just got to get them going and i hope like she feels good about it because she did get herself there we didn't pick her up and carry her like we we almost did but could have yeah it could have got to that yeah. point right yeah now the helicopter ride is that just part is that just included in the in the fee if you need a helicopter so ride? a lot of that has got chopped and changed over the years because it became more common so it was less common to have people chop it out but as time has gone on it's just becoming more common that someone looks at their three thousand dollar trip and thinks uh, it's got a little bit hard can i just get a helicopter and yeah. so they've made it a little less intrusive and made it harder to get the helicopter so you'll get more people just turning around and walking back no, but I mean, do you get like, do you have to like pay money for that helicopter? Or? No, absolutely. Yep. The problem with that though is then you get more and more people with money who can pay for one, and you just can't have helicopters flying around all the time, disturbing the peace of the the forest. So yeah, well, it, it's kind of like I remember I read a I read a sci-fi story once where uh, they'd put a they'd put an escalator on Mount Everest, and it's like, well, hmm. that's that's ruining the whole thing that it's all about right mm. like I, I would imagine helicopters in the milford sound kind of does the same thing and that's like i once again i go back to and i love this part of guiding where once you step onto a track 
you know, you could be a billionaire in the real world, but you're just another person with a pack on your back. Yeah. Like, things don't... Do, Mother Nature doesn't say, oh, you're rich, so um, I'll be okay to you. Yeah. And it's really cool when you get people all as a team who never knew each other to start with going through this ordeal of this mission, be friends all at the end of it. It's, it's one of those things, we call it the great leveler. So the, the, mm. the Milford sound is a great leveler. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, everyone dies, I think more everyone pays needs... taxes, and everyone on yep. the Milford sound is just a walker on the Milford sound. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And it seems like we're so far away from that at the moment. There's such a us and them vibe with everything at the moment. So more people need to go on missions. Huh. Get in the mountains. Milford Sound. Come murder your friend in a beautiful place. <laughs> uh, well, that was a good and one. That's I my enjoyed story. that one. Yeah. All right. So, so, sorry, say that again. So that was my story. That's uh, that's a <laughs> podcast exclusive, that one. You won't find that on the website, I'm afraid, oh, if you're looking for it. Oh, very good. Yeah, you gotta fo- you got to follow the pod. You can't just uh, be hanging out on Instagram. All right. Very good. Well, that, I really enjoyed that. That was a good story to hear. Uh, now, we have, as always, our bonus segment. It's Talking to Rayo with Mark and Cam. Hey. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that might have been our worst attempt at the song. Yet. Yeah. It was... All right. Okay, well, fam- well, listeners, you're familiar with the format now. Um, I will be uh, spelling out a Māori language word, uh, which Mark will pronounce in a Māori way. And then uh, we will, uh, as always, uh, rate Mark's uh, pronunciation uh, in his te reo pronunciation and uh, have a little talk about uh, the other ways that this word can be pronounced. Um, now... <clears throat> Mark, this is a uh, very much a classic uh, te reo word. Um, the word is spelt K-I-A-O-R-A. All right, I'd like to, to guess the answer, please, host. <laughs> you is guess, it please. Kia ora. Hey, Very, very good. Now, just for our listeners at home, kia ora is the traditional greeting uh, in New Zealand, um, but it also has uh, multiple meanings, uh, right? Am I right? Like Correct. It means, it means thank you as well? It does mean thank you. Yeah, there we go. So I think it's similar to, uh, I think the Hawaiian language has a similar thing uh, with uh And Raratongan, kia rana. Oh, really? Yeah, kia rana in Raratongan, so very similar in dialect. They've got those language families. Now, um, mm. what I love about this word, um, but, oh, by the way, rating, uh, 10 out of 10 this week, of course. I think you've got to get a 10 out of 10. I mean, it's a word you say often enough, but uh, it, it's worth uh, mentioning uh, the two other pronunciations that we like to have, uh, like to compare it with. Uh, Mark, can you please give me the typical New Zealand uh, white person pronunciation of this word? I would, yes. Kiora. 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 Like Kiora. They, they kinda they kinda bark it at you. You know, mm. like Kiora mm. versus mm. Kiora. 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 Sounds yes. kinda sexy and exotic. Uh, yeah, Kiora. Yes, the role of the role. <laughs> yeah. Kiora. Hi. Welcome. You're here in my country. And I'm white. I have to say this because it's PC now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's bloody political correctness gone mad. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's getting worse as time goes on, but that's another argument for another day. There we go. Now, um, also, I do like to, uh, as always, I do like to, to do my, uh, my North American pronunciation. And, um, oh, excellent. <laughs> the North Americans, what I've, what I've come to realize is that they love to pronounce every letter of every word. And uh, so it comes out something like this. Oh, Kia Ora. <laughs> uh, bless them bless them yeah they're so cute 
I know they they haven't they haven't worked they haven't worked out that you can just mumble your thre- mumble your way through half the English language and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, gold. All right, good job. All right, well, I think that's probably us for another week. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think we've we've probably heard enough for now. And folks, just in the pipeline at the moment, we do have a calendar, which is just getting finished off. So that's your calendar for your 2023, the year of the rebuild, of course, 2023. And uh, we've also got some books in the works, Cam. So people have been asking for a long, long time. Um, The book's probably a little bit far away, but the calendar, which will be contributing towards Active Hearts Foundation, the old charity over there in Nepal, so you're getting a calendar and doing some good at the same time. So watch this space. We'll have more on that in the next episode. Oh, wonderful. Well, I got I to gotta get my butt into gear and get these actually published and on the internet before 2023 rolls around then so <laughs> yes. that people can actually buy this calendar. Now, um, just for our listeners, how can they get a hold of this calendar, Mark? This, this, this exclusive merchandise. Well, folks, you need to follow all the latest action on Facebook and on Instagram. And then, of course, head to nzhikes.co.nz. And I'll put up the latest. Now, of course, we're in the production stage at the moment now, so we're getting everything printed. So we're looking at a week or so, but as soon as we're up and running, I'll put it up on the website and we'll be away and we'll sell some calendars and make some money for some people who have had a pretty hard time when it comes to tourism over there in Nepal. So I'm happy that I can help. And um, yeah, it's all good. All right. So as always, guys, once again, that's nzhikes.co.nz. Instagram as uh, nzhikes.co.nz, Facebook slash nzhikes, and of course, uh, once we get the Twitter set up, that's on my to-do list, hashtags onamish, bent dub nation, and nzhikes, and of course, as Mark said, make sure you visit activeheartsfoundation.org and give there. And uh, Oh, and finally, as always, I'm trying to get into the habit of this, give us a five-star review on anything that Please. you can give us a review on. Please, even if you didn't listen. <laughs> Tell your I don't know how you'd know. A, yeah, tell your friends to give us five-star reviews. No one's going to know. No one's going to yeah. know. They can just go and do it. They've just, done it. It's done. It's the click of a button. And, it, and, it, and apparently it'll really help us um, once I publish these and people start listening to them. <laughs> of course. Of course. Whatever that is. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Cam Clark, and this has been Bushwhacked, not the wrestlers. Uh, Kakiteano. Kia ora folks, namaste, kakite. <laughs>